Father Dad, we finally have you here. It's we've tried to schedule this one three times, I think. <laughs> yes. You're a busy guy. Well, I am so sorry being a priest. Sometimes you can plan your day as much as you want. Uh-huh. And always something happened to beautifully and gracefully mess up that plan. But I'm so <laughs> thankful to be here finally with you in the pews. Yes. Thank you so much for your patience with me, Rudy. Do you feel like um, you're the president or something because <laughs> your, your schedule changes so much throughout the day? No, not like a president, just a, a, a very uh, a hardworking priest trying to love his people. <laughs> Well, we, we're glad to have you here, finally, have you on the program. And you've been the parish priest of St. Faustina for how many years now? So we are finishing up our sixth year. So going into our seventh year. Wow. Time really f- flew. Yes. Fast. We've, we've seven years. Wow. And how many years have we been in this new building? Uh, it, so we been... came in here 2017, December 2017. So about four years and a half. Right? Four years. Okay. Yeah. So about three years in at the school. That's and right. Then four years here. That's right. Uh-huh. It's been it's been quite a journey, huh? Yeah. Two thousand seven, two thousand fourteen is when I come out. So seven years. Time flies. Speaking of journeys, your whole <laughs> life is a journey in and of itself. Now uh-huh. I understand you grew up in Vietnam, and. This was post-Vietnam War. That's right. Uh-huh. And which part of Vietnam did you grow up in? So I grew up in a city called Bien Hoa, which is outside of Saigon in the south of Vietnam. Okay. Uh-huh. And the weather is similar to Houston? Yeah, in, in a sense that it's very, very hot and uh, humid. <laughs> so tropical, <laughs> tropical, tropical weather. Tropical weather, lots of rain, very humid and very hot. Uh-huh. Is that pretty much what we see in the movies does it depict it pretty well yeah the vietnam it movies does depict it really well yes <laughs> and you are from a large family how many brothers That's and sisters right. do you have so there's eight of us all together and i'm the third oldest in 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 the uh eight how many uh-huh. boys and how many girls five boys and three girls Five boys, three girls. Wow. <laughs> it's a riot in wow. my house. <laughs> Are you the only one that has entered into religious life in your immediate family? I am, yes. My brother joined the seminary and he discerned it for a few years. And after that, he discerned out. Now he's happily married. Okay. Yes. Uh-huh. Was he older or younger than you? He's my younger brother. Okay, uh-huh. so after you. After me. He discerned. And were That's you already right. a priest at the time when he was discerning or... I'm already a priest. In fact, when I was serving as vocation director, he joined. Wow. So I, was, I was his brother and his boss. Oh, you're the, <laughs> wow. You're advising him in everything. <laughs> That's right. Now, yeah. growing up in Vietnam, your family's Catholic. I, That's right. That's, uh-huh. And um, you, so you, did you go to a Catholic school in Vietnam or? No. There, um, when I grew up, there was no Catholic school. When the communists took over Vietnam, there was a lot of uh, control and... Uh, uh, regulation and so no, no Catholic school. So all state-run school. All state-run school, and uh, just uh, took our CCE class, most of which was at home. Uh-huh. So your your schooling, w- did you live in a big city or was it a small town? It's a, it's like a s- suburban. It's not a big city. It's okay. About, yes. Okay, but it wasn't Monica anything town. like really rural. 
or anything like that, no. like we see in the movies <laughs> no. with the rice paddies and everything like that. No, no my grandparents are from there with the rice field and things oh, really? like that. So every summer I get to to go to my grandparents' house and spend a summer there, you know, that with is the rice cool. field and all of that. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> and what did your parents do while you were growing up? What were there? So um, they own a little business. Uh-huh. Uh, bef- during the, uh, before the, uh, the fall of Saigon, my parents has uh, like a little business. My dad worked in the, in the service. He was in the Air Force. Okay. And my mom has a little, um, little business selling uh, like, a, like a little convenience store, but it's very, very, very small. And uh, after the war would struggle here and there, they continue to, to have that little business where they sell different things. Yeah. So growing up in Vietnam, did you always know that you were going to become a priest? Wow. The call is a mystery, but I remember even at a very young age, in first grade, I go, going to mass as a, as a kid, I was so fascinated at the priest vestment. He's always wear those big vestments in, in different colors. So yes. I thought to myself, I want to become a priest. I want to wear one of those. So I, I couldn't wait to be a priest, even in my first grade. Uh-huh. I uh, went home and a little, little kid, I took, uh, took my dad's uh, sweatshirt, which is very long. So it looked like an alb. I okay. put the sweatshirt on and I took the, uh, the blankets, put a blanket outside as a chasuble and I celebrated mass. And <laughs> I even had parishioners. <laughs> so, <laughs> Who were your parishioners? <laughs> I, uh, so the way I, I did it was I, I saved my, my lunch money. Okay. And I, I bought uh, kind of like the red, drink like the Kool-Aid. Okay. The the red uh 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 like Kool-Aid drink and then I buy these peanut butter waffle and I invite my friends to come over <laughs> to see my mass and they get to drink the free Kool-Aid and peanut butter <laughs> peanut waffle. butter waffles and yeah. And that's how I draw, that's how I build my little parish. You know, we usually have about three to four parishioners that came just for that. <laughs> now I know why you're so good with your, with your homilies. Because you've had practice ever since you were a kid. Since I was a kid, they put up with my little homily and I celebrated my mass. Practice makes perfect. How and old were you at that, at so that point? So in first grade, I started doing that. And even through, all the way through elementary uh, and in, in, in middle school, because we have, uh, our school were near a cemetery. And in Vietnam, the way they built a cemetery, they built like a block of stone up. So uh-huh. my best friend and I, after school, we go, we go to the cemetery so that it looked like an altar. And he and I would, uh, I would celebrate mass and he'll be the lector and the, the altar server. <laughs> So, since so I was you a, had a you had you had your own little deacon that's right. as well. That <laughs> so is amazing. Since, since I was a little kid, I always wanted to to be a priest, and uh, that that goes all the way. Uh, and uh, in fact, dad and mom loved having priests in the house, so uh, they were so welcoming to priests that my 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 home was known as. A motel for religious, because every time uh, 
a priest or sisters that travel that goes by, they can always come to my parents' house, and oh. they would find my parents uh, very. Uh, they they'd be very honored to have them, and my parents would prepare the best. Uh, like we were, we we grew up without a lot of means, so. But every time there's a priest or sisters visiting the house, they would have chicken on the table, meat, and then the good food. So uh-huh. I always pray for priests and sisters to come. Because <laughs> you know the good food's coming. I want, I want some fried chicken. Can you send some priests and sisters? <laughs> and uh, whenever they came to the house and they would talk about being a priest, and when they leave, I said, my mom and dad, I'm going with them to the seminary. I want to be a priest. <laughs> and I would cry. Oh, wow. So my dad finally took me to go see the bishop. How old were you at that point? At that time, I was uh, probably about 10 years old. Okay. I remember going to the bishop's office. Do you remember his name? I do not remember his name. I have to think about it. He has since long passed. But it was scary in Vietnam when you see a bishop, you don't see bishop all the time. Really? When you see a bishop, it was like going to see the Pope or going to heaven to see God. You know, it was a it was a big deal, especially for a little kid. <laughs> so my dad drove me to the bishop's house, went to his office, and I remember when the bishop came out, we knelt down mm-hmm. and we kissed his ring. We went inside his 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 office. Uh, we sat across from his his desk. I remember, and I was shaken up. I was so scared because Dad was about to tell Bishop that I want to be a priest, and hopefully he'll take me. <laughs> <laughs> so I was sitting there, and uh, I remember Dad say, "Bishop, my little son here has been celebrating Mass at home. This is scary. <laughs> I hope he's not uh, uh, committing a sin by uh, oh, blasphemy uh, or something yes, like blasphemy. that." Because we've been celebrating a lot of masses at home with the Kool Aid and, <laughs> yeah. and the and the peanut butter or waffles. Yeah. And he said, uh, uh, "Your Eminence, uh, your Your Excellency, uh, what do we do? Um, when can he join the seminary?" Uh huh. And I was holding my breath, you know, like you can take me right now. I don't need to go home with wow. my dad. <laughs> and Bishop said. The situation right now in Vietnam is so bad. And given your case, working in the, in the, uh, in the Air Force and being in, in prison after the war, your son would not be able to join the seminary. At the time, you had okay. to be approved by the local government to join the seminary and approve to, to be ordained. So the bishop said, there is no way. Wow. Your son could could join the seminary. So this was well priest. after the war was over. That's right. So uh, he said that you should find a way for him to leave the country. That's the only way. You could become a priest. I could become a priest. Okay. And I was heartbroken because, you know, how are we going to, what are we going to do? How are we going to leave? Yeah, that so, seems like an impossible task. That was an impossible task. Uh-huh. And uh, I remember when we left that office, my dad was uh, riding me back on the motorpad uh-huh. coming home. I was so heartbroken. Oh. But uh, I knew. I started dreaming about leaving Vietnam and finding a way to go. Yeah. So you said your dad was imprisoned. Yes. What, what's the story behind that? Why was he imprisoned? So after the war, the communists uh, took over Vietnam, mm-hmm. uh, the South Vietnam. 
and they had this what they call the re-education camp. Okay. Anybody who have worked in the previous regime has to go to this camp, so where they can quote unquote re-educate them in the mm. way of the communist. So I remember my 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 parents tells me, especially my mother. She said after the war it was very scary. Uh, Tragedy. A lot of people died during the war. At any time, you know, in in your town, in your home, family would hold their breath because any time, the family can come home with the news that your son has passed. Wow! And and when the communists took over, everybody who worked in the previous government was knew that at any point they can come and get you to go and go to the re-education camp or prison. Mm-hmm. So my dad, mom said it was a tough time because early in the morning before the sun set, he would leave the house and go out to the farm and work there. And he doesn't come home until the sun already set. It was a tough time. Uh-huh. Tough time. At that time, at that time, there was my, my, uh, the first four boys. So mom was home and, you know, so husband, because of the situation, he would leave. And he didn't come back until at night. And you would live in this fear that any time they can come and take you. Because of his history of working for the, uh, being right. in service with the- He was in the Air the, Force, yeah. Yes. He was an officer in the Air Force. So, uh, but the time came when they asked him to report himself. So wow. he did. And he was in the refugee camp. And uh, so mom was home by herself, caring for the, the three, the children, uh, and that came, so he come back on and off, you know, and later he went, the total of about five years that he was. He and was I'm assuming that the re-education camp is just, it's it, just an, another name for, it, was he tortured? Uh, it was, was he, prison. The second time he was around was, he was tortured because wow. our family tried, in 1984, the whole family tried to find a way to, to escape Vietnam by boat. Mm-hmm. And um, we were, um, we left Vietnam. We were on the ocean for like a week and the engine died. And it kept floating in the ocean and we ran out of food and water. And I remember it was, a, everybody was literally, we couldn't move. We just, just on the floor of the boat. What kind of boat was this? It's a small, tiny boat. Was it uh, just like a I, you know, was single a engine kid, boat? But I re- yeah, single engine boat, maybe uh, 10, 12 feet long and maybe six feet wide. You know, just a small boat. So the type that people go fishing with. That's right. It's a fishing boat. Okay. And the engine died and we were just, we were just floating on the ocean. We were, we don't have food. We didn't have water. We could die anytime out of you know, hunger and thirst. And I remember we were praying very hard, praying, praying and praying and praying. Every once in a while, a little bit of of rain and then we would try to take a a piece of plastic and and take any drop of rain we can have Uh and for the water. Yeah, because you can't drink the seawater. That's right. Uh Uh, And after a while, Finally, we see this big, huge ship passing by. So with all the strength we had, we were screaming for help. We were waving the, the white uh, cloth 
Uh-huh. All the women with little children. My sister was three months old at the point. At How the many time. people were on the boat? I I believe there was about 30 or 40 of us. We all crammed in that boat. Wow. So we were, the children, you know, they raised the little children. And so the ship turned and came toward us. We were so happy. And they came, they find out it was pretty close to death. Uh-huh. So it turned out to be a Russian cargo ship. So they only allow the woman and the children into the ship. They gave us food. Uh-huh. Oh, I remember the first time, I, I, I still remember so clearly, I was so hungry about to die. Uh-huh. They gave us this butter toast. Uh-huh. <sighs> I thought I was in heaven. Wow. <laughs> <I> was, <laughs> so they gave us food and then they sent their mechanic into our boat to fix the engine and they told the man to keep on going. Wow. So we waved goodbye to death, you know. So and, they only took the women. And, and this then, was a Russian boat, so. Yeah. And at the time, remember, in the, in the 80s, they were still communists. Yes, yes. So what they did was they, we said goodbye to death and uh-huh. they took us back to Vietnam. Wow. And then when they dropped us off to Vietnam, the communists came, put us in a truck and drove us directly to the prison. Because you were trying to escape Vietnam. That's right. How old were you at this point? At that time, I was six years old, right? About six years old or so. So my and dad, your dad. So my dad, we don't know what happened to our dad. Wow. Because we were back. We were back. My sister was three months old, and I have my other three brothers. Mm-hmm. And mom, we were in prison. Wow. It was terrible because my mom, she was so worried. She has stomach ulcer. Wow. And at night, she was in so much pain. We were screaming for help. Uh, and there, was, there wouldn't be any help. And I remember seeing the prisoner walking. They were left without food, skinny, skin and bones. And we were praying every day. We were in prison for about two months and a half. Why do you think the Russian ship let the men go? Did you think... It was a kindness on their they part. They didn't want. They didn't want a man to get on the boat. Maybe attack them and take the okay. ship or something. Okay. Okay. Like I thought maybe so. perhaps they figured if we take these men in and bring them, for sure they're going to be executed. No. No. They, they send them off. They just said, just keep "Good going. luck. Good luck. Keep going." Yeah. They give them some food and water. Uh-huh. Okay. And supply. So after about two months, a little bit over two months, we finally were released. Uh huh. We came home. And you had no idea what happened to your dad? No. Wow. And when we came back, we found out that dad's boat continued on, uh-huh. the engine died again, and it, the wind blew them back to the shore of Vietnam, and he's now in prison. Wow. How many days were you on the boat before that, that big Russian boat came along? I, uh, I can't remember exact, but it would be at, at least a, probably about a week. A week we saw, on yeah. the, sh- on the with shore. very little food. Yeah. Yeah. It was terrible. That's amazing. And we came back and I, I remember very clearly when we found out that it was, it was devastating. And my grandpa, he's such a man of faith. You know? Was he with you on the boat? No, he, he was the one that stayed back to keep the house. Okay. So when we came back, because if we had gone with us, that house would be confiscated, be mm. gone. Yeah, the government would have taken it. And yeah. uh, grandpa, such a man of faith. He took our hands, you know, at that time, Nothing left, right? We'd have to start from scratch. Dad is in prison. Mom came back. All the money we had, we invested in taking that trip. So we had nothing left. He took our hands to 
before the Blessed Mother and we just pray together. And, and uh, so then after that, mom was just working three or four jobs, staying up sometime to three or four in the morning. Because your dad was in prison. Dad was in prison trying to rebuild our, our life and put food on the table for the three kids and go to bring to visit dad whenever she's allowed to do so. Yeah. Wow. And that time around, it, that prison was really rough. That's when dad was really- He was tortured at that point. Beat up. And did he ever tell you about the things that they did to him while he was in, in prison? Oh gosh, he said when he was uh, taken to prison, they, uh, he said the beating. They said the, he said, remember the word he used, like, it was like a volleyball, you know, you put you in the middle and they beat him up and push him to, you know, punch and it was like a ball being played. You know? Wow. And he said, but through it all, God saved him. Yeah, the only thing he always, whenever he tells this story is gratitude that in the end, God is with us. You know, he said, they beat me up. They lock me up uh, arms to arm and leg to leg with, with other prisoners. And, uh, uh, you know, but God is always, he said, I always have faith. He said one point as he was being locked, the prison guard came in and said, which one of you is Catholic? Oh boy. No one said a word. And dad said, I have to. So he said, I am Catholic. Uh-huh. Come. So everybody, everybody thought that this is, that's the end of his life. They drag him away to see the, uh, the, the, the guard, the, the, the head. Are you Catholic? He said, yes. And he said, they asked him all these questions. He said, you know, I remember the Lord say, when they drag you out before the authority, do not worry because I will give you the word to say. And he said, just beautifully, words just came out in such a way. And, and after they interrogated him for a while, they, they sent him back. He said, miraculously, wow. nothing happened to him. And everybody thought, wow, how is that possible that, Nothing happened to him. Yeah. That is a real test of your faith to be able to say, yes, I am Catholic. You're yeah. probably going to kill me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But he said, always trust God. Always trust God. And he always be with us. Did no he know what. at this point that you were still alive, that you were he in Vietnam? He has no idea what happened to us. Just like we had no idea what happened to him. Eventually, we were able to be connected and we were able to allow to visit him a few times a year for just a few minutes. Wow. Yeah. That's so crazy. Wow. So he's in prison. He doesn't know what happened to his family at all, whether they survived or not, whether they were killed or whatever. And there he is in prison, just trying to stay alive mm -hmm. and to have the faith to go on and the that's strength. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And later we were allowed to visit him. I remember. And she was my mother. She's a little bitty woman, you can tell uh, from her son. <laughs> Small in stature, but such a strong woman. I have so much love and admiration for my mother. And when she was allowed to visit my father, you you allowed to bring some food mm -hmm. uh, to, to bring it to him. So she would travel for days as a young woman. You know, um, she would travel for days. And then they would drop her off right outside the, like the wood. 
and she would have to carry these these stuff, food and clothes that she was going to give to my dad and walk through the dark wood to all the way till she finally get to where the prison is. Wow. She said, then I, she said, I would go in and I would see your dad. They would only allow me to see your dad for maybe three minutes. Sometimes three minutes. Sometimes we don't even allow to see him. Wow. But I just go there, he said, and I gaze and I saw your dad walking out. And I, I, I feel, even though I can't talk to him, but to see his sight, to know that he's still he's alive. He's still alive, yes. And I come back, yeah. That's all you can hope for. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. That's amazing. And they, and she had to walk in the dark through yeah. the woods because yeah. they weren't doing any favors. And huh? again, with her fate, she said, anything can happen. I was just a young woman. Oh yeah, that's going right. Through this, uh, yeah, the soldiers place. could have easily killed her or, yeah. or raped her anything or something like that. Anything could have happened yeah. to her, yeah. But wow. he said, God was always with us. Eventually, wow. She was allowed to bring others with her. So my brothers and I, we, we were able to take turn to go with her. And I remember I went with her once. It, it's a long, long journey that took days to get there. Wow. And when we get there, when by the time I go, we were able to see, to literally have dad in the little room, maybe five by five feet. Uh-huh. Came out and we give him the stuff that we brought with us. He would hold me, you know, he would kneel down and hold me on, on his lap and, you know, would love me. And I just, the only thing I remember at the end, dad said, so dad, you go home first with mom and dad will come home later. Uh-huh. And I came home very excited. Oh, dad's going to come home soon. But it wasn't any time soon. It was a long time. Yeah. And he would say that each time, huh? Not knowing whether or not he'd see you again. That's right. That's right. That. Yeah. Wow. And when you so, saw him, did he have bruises and or anything? Any signs of the torture? As a child, I don't remember. All I remember was dad was there. I was still just happy so to see him. happy to see dad. Wow. You know? And he always put on a smile for me. He was always smile and, and happy, you know. And mom just stood there, watch us, you know. It's a precious moment when we know that uh, love, you know, even distance and prison cannot stop our love for one another. Did you did yeah. you have any friends or relatives that went through a similar experience? Oh yeah. Uh was it really common? Of course, dad's best friend was uh also in the service. Went with us uh -huh. on that trip. And he went through the same thing. And uh my mom and 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 his wife also they go together to visit because they were okay. in the same prison. My uncle was also, he worked as, um, he worked in the uh, the secret, in the police, secret police force. Uh, and he was in prison for eight years. Wow. His story was sad because he came home. I remember he came home when he was released finally after eight years to uh, out of prison. He went to see uh, his dad, which is my grandfather who was living at my house. Uh -huh. And I remember when they met each other every night at home. My grandpa made us pray the rosary together. And at the end of the rosary, we always say three special Hail Mary for my uncle who was in prison, uh -huh. for my dad, that they will quickly be released, right? my uncle and my dad. Mm -hmm. And for my uncle, Father John, who have left Vietnam, when the communists took over in 75, he got on a big uh, ship and was able to leave. So we always pray for those three. I remember by name. And when my uncle finally came home, I could see my uh, 
my dad came home first and my uncle was in there for eight years. Mm-hmm. How, how long was your dad in there? My dad was in a total of five years, but the second time around, two years. Okay. Uh, when my uncle came home, gosh, I could see the joy. I like my, my grandpa and him, they embraced. And we could see that joy, you know, that, wow, finally you're home. We've the relief of, for you. of- yeah, and he came home to his family. Unfortunately, two months after that, he had an accident and, and he passed away. Oh. It was just sad, tough. Tragedy of war, you know, it, it brings a lot of suffering into our lives. Do your parents have any other brothers and sisters? Yeah, yeah, they do. Are they still uh, in Vietnam? Uh, um, my, uh, some of them are still in Vietnam and some of them are already here in the United States. My uncle and aunts, yeah. So you said that your dad was... In prison twice? Yes. A three years and five years? The first two time years? was re-education camp. That's in and out. The second okay. time was when he escaped Vietnam and he was in there. Yeah. Okay. So how did you finally leave Vietnam? So we decided that we had to split up because the last time we went together, everybody was in prison. Yes. So for economic financial reason and also just so that we go in wave, we decided we're going to split up. Okay. So the first time my two older brothers left, they left Vietnam and then- uh, Were they alone together? They, they were with their cousins and- Okay. So they left, they arrived safely to Thailand. You go from Vietnam to Thailand or the Philippines or Malaysia- where, On a boat. Where the refugee camp is. And from there, uh-huh. uh, the US ambassadors come and interview and hopefully you get the, the visa to go to the United States. So It's the same kind of boat. That yeah, single engine, you know those yeah, little bitty boat. boat. Okay. So my two older brothers left, and they sent back a letter and said, "Hey, we safe and sound. You're send lucky the next, we're send the next group." Something. So, so wow. then when the opportunity arise, then my younger brother and I—I I was twelve years old and he was ten—together with my aunt and four other cousins. Okay. We left Vietnam. Same. By this time, we go from Vietnam to Cambodia because the distance on the ocean uh-huh. from Cambodia to Thailand is a lot shorter. Okay. And then from there, we catch the, the little boat uh, and go from there to Thailand. What was that like? Because you were the older one at oh, this point and I you was, didn't know whether or not- I was the older one. And uh, I remember I, I was just starting out sixth, sixth grade, right? Uh-huh. But the opportunity came, so we went. So our aunt and our four cousin, our group, the boat has about 40 of us. So we came first to Cambodia and we, uh, they hit us in the attic of the house where we don't really the sun, see the sunlight. You see it to the crack, uh, you know, the sunlight. You wait there until when the boat came in, when there's no police and things like that. Okay. Then at night, They'll sneak you out and you hide in the bushes. Wow. And at night when the boat came in, then you walk out to the boat, you jump into it and you leave. So whose house was this in Cambodia? This is the people that, that organized. Just this, some kind these, person. This trip. Yeah. Wow. So I remember staying there and finally our time came. The boat had come in and they, one by one, they begin to, because they don't want to take the big group out. They just take out one or two person at a time. Yes, of course. So everybody was leaving and leaving and leaving. And when it's final, 
uh, depend on the the time when you get there to the house. Uh-huh. That's the order that you get out to the boat. If you don't, and by the time they fill up the boat, you wait for the next boat to come in. So when it finally my turn, uh, one of the ladies said, "Would you please allow me to go before you because my two brothers already gone. I want to go out there. They want to stay together. Yeah, on the they want to stay together. Yeah. She says, "Sure, you can go. I'll just wait for the." The next motorpet to come and take me and my brother. Uh huh. So they took her and they came back and said, "Sorry, you're gonna have to wait for the next boat." Wow. Because now there's a lot of police driving on the on the road. Wow. I was like, "Don, I miss it by one." You know, I'm gonna have to wait another week before the next boat come. You know, it turns out that boat that left before me, uh huh, they uh, they didn't make it. Wow. All those people passed died. What happened? Do you do you know what happened to them? Did what they I sink heard, or were they captured? I heard from their family that um, I think they were ramped by by the pirates and everybody wow. died. So had you not given up your seat to her, I'd be in heaven right now. <laughs> wow! <laughs> But God has a plan for every one of us, you know. I wow. have a plan. So, and I waited like a, about a four or five days later. Finally, this time I got to go out and and we went. So we get on the boat at night, and we go. When the sun comes out, the boat would go into a little island, drop us off. We hide in the in the there in the island, and at, at night, and when the night when the sun sets, the night come, they'll come and pick us up, and we continue our journey. That's how we were doing. Wow! And uh, finally, we finally arrived to Thailand, and again they. They plan it so that it it come at night. They just dump us off and they'll leave. So they drop us off at night on the other side of the island where people leave. Uh huh. And when we got off, we started walking toward the village. And as we were doing that, the pirates spotted us. So they 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 came in. They had their their guns and their machetes and. They lined us up. You know, they put the guns toward us, and they lined us up. How big of a group are you? About forty of us. Okay, but so there have, were adults that you could follow since you were yeah yeah you were so young yeah that's right. They lined us all up. Okay, and then one by one they go and they inspect. You know, check out everything for valuables for valuables, and they took it all from us. You know, so. My mother has a, her, her her ring, her wedding ring, uh-huh. we, and the jean that I was wearing, uh-huh. she she cut it out. She put the ring in there and she sewed it back up. She said, "When you get to Thailand, you sell this ring and you use that money for food when you get there." Well, of course, they inspected it and they saw it. They cut it out and they wow. took the ring. And every valuables we have, money, they took it all. But fortunately, they let us go. They didn't do us harm. They got on their boat and they left. So by the time, and my cousin had a ring, also a golden ring, uh-huh. same thing. She swallowed it because that's what we were told to do. Like if you you swallow it, yeah, and later you can, you know, it, mm-hmm. it comes out and you can look for it and you go and clean it up and sell it. So anyway, so we got to by the time we get to the village, we were we don't have a thing, you know. So while waiting for. The Thai government to come and pick us up and bring us to the uh-huh. camp for about two months and a half. Um, we didn't have anything. We live in a little cottage in that island while waiting for the government to come. Uh, you no, know, 
for about two months or so, two months and a half, you know, we were going and uh, like a beggar, you know, every day we wake up and we go down to the Thai village, usually around meal time at lunch or during dinner time. Mm-hmm. And we ask for food. A lot of time they would have their dinner and with the leftover, they'll call us in and we'll go inside and eat. I remember Thai food is very spicy. <laughs> I remember with my cousins and I, my brother, we would go and uh, we, uh, <laughs> after the, the meal, they go and we go and we're so happy we have food. And talking about Thai food, you know, it, we, we would uh, go in, we have our food. And it was so spicy. We were eating. It was so spicy, like we, our nose would be running. <laughs> and we were like crying. Oh, it was so spicy. But we were, but the food was, we were so hungry. The food was so like, wow. <laughs> That's how I love to eat spicy food. <laughs> in From Thailand. your experience in Thailand. From my experience in Thailand. And occasionally people would give us a bag of rice, you know, a few Thai, they call bath. So where were there. you staying at that point? So was there a, a camp? in the island, there's a little, um, there's a little kind of like a, 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 they built like a little, just like the roof. Okay. Like, like a little, uh, kind of like a little g- gazebo. Okay. A square gazebo with a roof on it. It's small, maybe 14 by 14 and 40 of us cramped in there just to sleep there while waiting for the Red Cross and the government to come and bring us to, to the refugee camp. Yeah. Wow. So we lived like that for about, you know, while we were there, another group came. Very sad, but when this group came, when they dumped them off, the uh-huh. boat hit the, hit the rock, the boat break, and people just hang on to whatever they can hang on and swim in, and half of the people in that boat die. Wow. They, just, they drowned on the They the drowned water. as they're trying to get in the island. And then they finally found us to come and join us too. Yeah. It was okay, a so tough time. It was you and your brother. Did and you have any older relatives with you that were helping you along? My, my aunt. Okay. My aunt was with me and my other four cousins. We were together with the rest of the group. Yeah. Wow. And, and that's the same experience that your your brothers went through. Yeah. Yeah. We were all together. You know, we whatever food we find, we'll come home and we share it among ourselves. And so we lived like that. Was your dad uh, still in prison at this point or was he at home He already? was back in Vietnam. Now, back in Vietnam, mom and dad was waiting for the news from us. You know, because my brothers went and soon they got the news back. We got here safely. We're all right. Wow. For us, we had no connection with the outer world. And mom and dad at home thought that we have died. They had no idea what happened. They had no idea. Especially if the news of that previous boat got to them. Yeah. And they never get the news from us. So in their mind, they thought they have lost their children. Wow. Every day they were praying for us. Wow. And uh, when we finally, when, when the Red Cross came, uh-huh. uh, the, the staff from the Red Cross come to, to bring us food and to uh, check our health and things like that, then we were able to write letters to our family. They took it to the city and send it. That's when... My, my parents finally received news that we were still alive. Yeah. It's a good thing they were able to receive those letters, yeah. that the government didn't intercept them somehow. Yeah. Even the letters of your brothers. That's right. That they were able to. So where yeah. were your brothers at this point? My brothers has, at that time, was in the camp in the mainland at that point. 
and they were trying every day looking for us in Thailand. In Thailand, okay. They heard from my mom that your brothers have already left, but it's been two months. They haven't heard from us, so they're searching every time they see the Red Cross come to the camp. Please look for my brothers. This is his pictures. Wow. This is his name. If you hear of his news, please let us know. My parents are waiting in Vietnam. We don't know what happened to them. It's been two months. We haven't heard any news of them. How old were your brothers at that time? So, my brother was fourteen and fifteen. Imagine uh, being fourteen or fifteen brothers. years old and not knowing what's happening to your younger younger siblings, not knowing whether or not they're they're alive or not. Yeah, trying to worry about what's going to happen to you, and then at the same time, your parents. In Not Vietnam, knowing. whether or not your dad was going to get put in prison again. Yeah. That's it's, crazy. It's, it's tremendous uh, suffering. But when you're in it, uh-huh. St. Paul say that God will never put us in a place without giving us grace to live it. So when you're in it, you just ship to survival mode and, and God, God is with us. I, we pray the rosary together every night. Uh-huh. And I just remember, even though I, I, it was tough, but I was very close to the Lord. I was always praying the rosary. Still keep the dream alive that hopefully I'll get to the island and get to the U.S. one day and join the seminary. You know, and, but it was a tough time. But God gave you the grace. I look back to my lives. Sometimes I celebrate Mass and I see my, my nieces and nephew and our young people here. They uh-huh. are so blessed. you know. And, and uh, I thought to myself, I was at the age when all of this happened. How did I, how did I survive that? But when you're in it, God give us the grace if we are faithful, if we trust uh, with him. God will always carry us through. Always carry us through. Because that's all all you have to lean on because you had nothing. Nothing, absolutely nothing. You have the people around you and you have God. And I learn, and you learn so much when you go through difficult time. Yes. I remember you go begging for food, but you don't get food all the time. Wow. So that one day, it was not one of those bad days, right? I went and begging for food and the sun was already, the evening was setting. It's time to go back to to the place where we live and we had no food. And you hadn't eaten all day. No. And I was worried about my brother, my aunt and my cousin, you know. So usually I'm a pretty lucky guy. My aunt still tell us, uh, to recently passed away mm-hmm. uh, a year ago, that you know, of all the cousin, dad always has luck. I always bring home either some money or some food. You know, <laughs> some for some reason I always we had to split out to go uh-huh. and try different spots. Of course, increase your chances of getting yeah, something, of getting yeah. food. And somehow I was, uh, I tend to be the luckier one. <laughs> so that day I came home without anything, and I I remember. Uh, I, I went in and then cousins and we would come back and aunt sits there and said, and did you guys have any luck today? No. And she had a plate of food and it was like, God, thank God. He said, eat it. Wow. And you know, we were so hungry after the whole day. We, we just like that and finished the plate and we were so thankful that, you know, she had the food and, uh-huh. and later when I, uh, I walked out. I saw her sitting under the tree far away and I, I walked over. She was crying. She wouldn't tell any of us, but I went over and said, Auntie, are you all right? You're crying. And she told me, I haven't eaten anything yet. Wow. You know, I- She gave I, it all to you. She gave it all to us. I was so moved. I mean, 
things like that, when you're suffering, you experience sacrificial love, strength, uh-huh. grace. You know that it's a lifelong lesson that I carry with me forever, even in my life as a priest. You know, uh, but even in our suffering, it's like the disciples on the road to Emmaus. God. Walk along with us, but sometimes our eyes are prevented from seeing him. Mm-hmm. But there are moments of grace when suddenly a heart is burning within us, and we recognize him. And those are the moments as I look back that I, I recognize God's love, all along, always walking along with us, giving us the grace, being very, very close to us. You know. Do you ever think about those days? You know, let's say, for example, you're having a big feast like Thanksgiving or something, and you look at the food on the table. Do you think about those days when you had nothing? I do. When you were starving, I do. I, I think um, that's why I'm, I'm kind of easygoing right now, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I remember going, being in a seminary. Sometimes the seminary would say, "Oh, the food today." For me, it's like, gosh, this is heaven. You know, I'm looking at. I'm looking at the food. Uh, Sometimes I see my my little nieces and nephew like they complain about the food, and I thought to myself, "We're in heaven, you know." Uh, here yeah. as a priest, some people bring us food, you know. I said, "Father, Dad, I hope you like it." It's like this is for me. This is heaven. I remember uh, on the journey, right, not having food, and I remember on the journey we were so thirsty when we were in the island. Uh-huh. Walking to the village, we were so thirsty, and I remember when we finally found the rock. Like after the rain, water had had yeah, it has in a, that the, little rock. The dew on, and the, you can yeah. literally see these little creatures swimming in there. The uh, oh wow, the, the thing that become mosquito. Yeah, ty- oh, the wrigglers. Yes, yeah. But you were so th- you just drink that. Wow. You know? And 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 uh, right now, when I see our table have a lot of food, and yes. I always think of those moments. I think of we are so blessed because, as we're talking right now in this world, there are many children, there are many many people who are hungry, who are looking for food out of the dumpsters. If we only step back for a moment and see, alive is so absolutely blessed, you know. And I think going through those moments really make me. Appreciative of family, mm-hmm. the fact that we could be together. Yes, of the gift of of freedom, of the fact that we could go to mass. I mean, I was, I long to go to mass. Those months there was no mass, right? Growing up, we went to mass every day. Uh huh. And there, there was no mass. You know, we gathered together at night and we prayed. You just prayed. We just almost, prayed yeah. together. <sighs> Later, when they, you know, we were in that camp for about two, 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 two months, and finally, the government and the, the the Red Cross come and they took us to another island. So what they did was, instead of people leaving scattered everywhere in Thailand, uh-huh. it was hard to bring food and medicine to us. So they gathered us all in an island. So the the uh, uh, coordinated effort was a little bit easier. And while we were there, finally a priest came. Oh, 
I still remember the day he came. And as a little kid, I was, by that time, I was 13 years old. Where was this priest from? So he was from Vietnam. He was like us. He was on a boat. And okay. He, he escaped. And he was in one another island. And they brought him there. And boy, all the Catholics were so happy. We have a priest. We have a priest. We could have we mass. We have a priest. Yeah. <laughs> we could have, we could have mass. You know? And uh, I was just, uh, we just feeling so blessed. And when he came, then all the Catholic together gather around him, uh, <laughs> and we talked to us. We talked to ourselves. Okay, well, let's let's have mass. We haven't had mass for months. Yes. So we talked with the staff uh, of the. Uh, uh, Red Cross, could you contact the archdiocese in Thailand and bring us some host and wine? And they said, sure, we'll do it. In the meanwhile, we got together and we pitched in little tops and, and things like that. And we will cut the trees and we built a little chapel. Wow. It's a small chapel. Uh, the people who know how to draw, they would, people who brought holy cart, mm-hmm. we would draw the, 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 the image of our blessed mother, of St. Joseph. We take the wood and we make the cross. We build a little altar. Wow. And I just remember the first day we had mass. I was so happy. It's been months since I have mass and the Eucharist. And we were absolutely overwhelmed with joy sitting there um, in this little quote unquote chapel. It's just basically a top on top of it with the altar and and he celebrated mass for us and he gave us the eucharist and we were so happy you know now that i think now that we talk about it maybe god had a plan for me to to start this paris and <laughs> from scratch the community because he he already prepared me when i was a uh, 12 13 years old you had to that experience start a already <laughs> without a church without an office without nothing but there was so much joy uh, when i came out here to start saint faustina community there was not, uh, there was, said, Cardinal gave me a letter and he said, go. There's not a, there's not, there's no house, no office. Uh-huh. Um, I was scared, but I think God prepared me for that. Now that I look back, because we didn't have anything in the camp. Wow. And once we have the priests, we just gather around, we had the mass and we had the community and we were nurtured by God's grace, you know, and. Were the priests in Vietnam persecuted? The Catholic priests? Yeah. And he so he found a way to leave. What was it like for them? Were they also put in in camps like your dad was? Gosh, you hear this different story. My uncle, for instance, if he had not left Vietnam, he would have been executed by the communist. Um you know, some priests work uh, as a chaplain, you know, dealing with bringing communion to celebrating mass for the soldiers and things. Those priests some of them were taken to prison. Some of them die in prison. Oh, and uh, wow. so, depending on what they did in Vietnam, you know, uh, before. So, so I imagine uh, it's like, um, like the scene in uh, that Raúl Julia movie uh, Romero, where they would torture the priests, and the other ones could hear it going on. Is that what? Is that uh, something like what your dad? The, and there's different, different, other different story. Different priests go to different things, but. Uh, it's incredible. There's yeah, there's priests that that died in prison. So that uncle of yours, yeah. where's he now? Did did he make it? So to... yeah, he came. He came first to to uh, I believe New York. Okay. 
Uh, and then it was too cold. So they, they came down to the South. <laughs> they, they found Texas. So they came here and he incarnated into this archdiocese. Okay. He served in this archdiocese until his retirement. He's now living in the, the retirement home, uh, Archbishop Fiorenza, a priest retirement home. Yeah. Wow. So your, your brothers, how did you get into contact with them? So you're, you're in that little refugee camp. You, you create your little yeah, your little so chapel. We, we stay there for another, um, I believe, five months or so. What, that long? Five months? Oh, yeah. Because wow. at the time, they decided to stop the wave of Vietnam just, just coming. Okay. They didn't know what to do with us. Should they ship us back to Vietnam or should they? So they didn't want to bring us to the, the main refugee camp that was pretty crowded. Oh. And who was running the refugee camps? at this? So they sent Thai soldiers to come and kind of guard okay. us and okay. um, they uh, elected like the, the camp uh, leader okay. and the Red Cross would bring us food. You know, they would, they would come twice a month, bring us um, canned food and things like that. Is this the Thai Red Cross or from other countries? It's the United uh, US uh, yeah. Red Cross. United Nation. Yeah. Oh, they, United they, Nation. They came and they bring us food and wow. Yeah medicine and things like that. So very grateful to that. So after we stayed there for three months, they still haven't really made a decision yet, but it was so hard to bring it out to an island because they uh -huh. had to get there by boat. So they brought us to an to um, uh, a place called Bantat, which is the border between Cambodia and, and uh, Thailand. Okay. They brought us to this this wooded area and they give us, you know, they kind of clean up the place for us and they'll, they'll supply us with hammers and nails and machetes and, and give us material so we can make these, uh, kind of like these leaps, bamboo houses. Okay, like little huts. Yeah, or, huts. Yeah. So we live there for another year. A year? Yeah. Another, you and your brother and your uncle and your cousin. Yes, for for another. It would, it would, by that time, there's a lot of refugees that okay. brought in from all over Thailand. Because they didn't know how long you were going to be there. So that's they, right. Now again, wow. the story of fate. Like God, God is always. When we got there, and uh, we said we got to build our church. See, fate is so amazing. <sighs> Everywhere we go, right? We said uh -huh. we got to have our church. So we got there together and. Uh, we began to build our church. Now, by this time, there was two priests, Father Pierre and Father Zhang. They, uh, they are missionary priests. Okay. They come in to be with us. Where are they from? Uh, one is from Switzerland and one is from uh, France. Okay. So they came and uh, to minister to us. Oh. And you still had your Vietnamese priest with you? Yes. Okay. And I just remember they left such a, a deep impression in my heart, in my soul. As a little child who desired to be a priest, uh -huh. I always look, I always remember. And there was those two priests and there's another priest, Father Dominic. He's also a Jesuit who spoke Vietnamese. It's amazing. Where's he from? Gosh, I can't remember where he's from. Uh, I just remember he's a very funny guy and he tried to, and he speak Vietnamese and celebrate Vietnamese mass for us, you know. Wow. Just a, a priest filled with joy. I'll never forget him. These priests, they, they left a last, lasting impression. But he wasn't uh, Vietnamese at all. He wasn't Vietnamese. But 
I think he taught in Vietnam uh, before the communists took over. So he picked up Vietnamese. Okay. <laughs> he spoke wow. Vietnamese, you know, broken Vietnamese, but he, uh, he celebrated it. Mass in Vietnamese and talk Vietnamese to us. I thought, so you had I, I was, several priests. Huh? Yeah, by that time it was it was cool. So we built our our, uh, but by that time they they are still in the process of making a decision with us. So mm-hmm. they kept us from having any contact with the outside world. No letters, no mail, no nothing. Did you ever receive anything from your parents in any of the camps? By that time, no, no. At that time, not yet. Okay, so you had Our just parents, sent letters out yeah. hoping that it got to them, not yeah. knowing whether or not they knew yeah. you were still alive. Until these priests came. Okay. Knowing that we weren't allowed to have contact to our outer world. Uh-huh. They told us to write a letter to our family. Mm-hmm. And in the meanwhile, while we were writing our letter, they would take it and smuggle it out for us. Wow. That was our only way to still keep in touch with our loved ones. Okay. But at this point, your parents knew that you had made they're it. They're still living, yeah. But okay. they still have, yeah. So they, um, so that's how we have contact with my brothers in the other camp and my oh, parents back in Vietnam. And th- that was the first time you got contact that's right. with So we wrote letters and they smug- smuggled it out for us. Why didn't they allow you to send letters you know, out? I do not know as a child. I just know that they didn't allow us to have any of these. Wow. In fact, I remember one time Father Pierre, he was driving in this old beat up car, uh-huh. driving out of camp. Somehow words got out that he he was taking letters out for us. They stopped him. Wow. They inspected his car, they found it. Oh no. And this poor priest, they made him crawl on the ground. I just I just remember that. For for, for you know, for doing that, you know, it was just they were rough, rough, wow. rough soldiers in there. They were very rough. I wonder why they. Yeah, I think they because they they haven't figured out what to do with us yet, so they don't want us to. Hmm. They don't want maybe the world to know and oh. maybe speak out, and then they couldn't decide what to do. You know, if the and press they, gets they a hold want, of the stories, right. then it would right. influence the policy yeah, on what exactly, they do. To, okay, exactly. So, but I remember he's he's a fragile older priest loving us, you know, and. After that happened to him, we came to the church to meet him and we would say, so sorry, Father. We, he said, keep on writing the letter. I'll find a different way to get the letters out for you. Wow. It's just amazing priest. Do you, do you ever keep in contact or? No, get re- you know, I, I, I wish I do by the time I, now I know they, they all have since died. You know, uh-huh. when I start keeping in contact with people that have been there and that kept up with them. Uh-huh. Yeah. Gosh, I would love to go see them and celebrate mass with them. That would, that be, would be amazing. But that never happened, you know. But I get to keep those image forever in my, of course. In my heart, you know. They really inspire me as a priest. So um, we were there. I remember that because of the, because of, because where we are is in the border between Cambodia and Thailand. Uh-huh. And they have groups that would fight each other all the time. And we find ourselves caught in between. Really? So in the middle of the camp, every once in a while, there was by be explosion and fire going by, you know, like in the middle of the night, fire would come up and we would jump up and would hide under our bed. Like gunfire. Yeah, gunfire. And then we would dig, a lot of people would dig like a shelter. Uh-huh. So when gunfire happened, we would jump into the-, the Like foxholes. Yeah. Wow. And hide there so that we don't get killed by- Why, why were they fighting? Fire. 
It's right in the border. So, oh, so wow. We were in the border. So you think you're safe. No. You think, okay, we're fine. We're in a refugee camp. We've got, yeah. but so you're we don't still in danger. Know. Anytime fire can, can happen and we might get a bullet and die. Did that so happen a lot? It happened to some people. So wow. we were scared. We didn't know if we got to wake up the next day alive or not. And whenever there's fire that broke out, nobody come to the camp. Uh-huh. You know, you have these staff that come in, nobody comes. Because it's not and safe, I, yeah. It's not safe. But I still remember those priests would come, show up, and we would know that people still know that we're safe. Wow. That we're here because the priests were there. Wow. I remember one time when we had, now this time around when we have, when we build a church, uh-huh. I immediately volunteered to be the altar server. And they accepted <laughs> me. I was the first altar boy in that camp. That's amazing. Uh, and I remember I was, uh, we have to set up for mass as an altar boy. Uh-huh. And mass start very early in the morning. That one day, I leave probably about 10 minutes walk from the chapel, right? So I, I woke up one day, had my little flashlight, and I, I was walking by myself as a 13, little, uh, 13 years old boy in the mm-hmm. dark, finding my way to the, to the church. Uh-huh. And I was there first. I was alone setting up. I love setting up for mass. Altar server, uh, we were in charge of setting up for mass. I put the wine out, put the book up. And I remember when I, whenever I put the wine on the, on, I always say, Lord, right now, I'm setting this up as the altar boy. May I become a priest to set this up as a priest one day. I always say that little prayer. Really? I, I love being a priest. To yourself. Yeah. No, yeah. Nobody else knew <laughs> right. that you were doing that. Wow. So I remember that morning, it was dark. Got there, I set up, turn on the candlelight. All of a sudden, all the fire. I, I wow. literally see the fire. Yeah, you could see the bullets. Yeah, because they're night, hot. You could yeah. See, yeah. I was so scared and I hit under the altar and I was like, oh, I'm going to die. Nobody's here with me. And my aunt and my cousin, my brother's still back in the house. Uh-huh. They won't come to church until later, but now they're not going to come. And here I'm stuck by myself. I'm scared. And I hid in there for a while. You were alone. I was alone in that church. And fire was like right in front of the church. Wow. I thought, I, this is it. I'm going to die. So I was so scared as a kid. I lie. Uh, you know, the altar has the big cloth. Uh-huh. I, I hid under there. You were, hide, you were hiding for safety under the altar in that little church that you. Yeah. And wow. after a while, Father John showed up. He went in there with me and he hid under there with me. Wow. And when fire ceased and the sun comes out and fire ceased and. He brought me back to, to, the, to the office and another person came and he told that person to walk me back home. How old were you at this point? I was 13 years old. 13. Yeah, it was wild. Wow. Wild. When I think about problems that 13-year-olds year have now compared to- <laughs> I know. <laughs> what you went through. <laughs> every, every Sunday, I look out to my, my teens, you know, they, some of them, whenever, you know what breaks my heart a lot is- Whenever the teen tell their dad, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to go to yeah. mass. It's like taking a knife and cuts to my heart. You know, oh. like I was 13 years old and I die. I would die to go to mass. And they have this opportunity every Sunday to be in the mass with beautiful music and praise and worship. And, and the Lord is there. And they said they don't want to go to mass and their parents' hearts are broken. But the parents have no idea when I hear that, it's like my heart is really broken. 
And I thought to myself, gosh, only you knew, but you missed out. Yeah, it's what they're taking yeah. for granted. I thought when I was he- their age, I I was, I, I thought I was heaven when I had that mass. Because you had gone yeah. for months without I, mass. Yeah. And, and even with all those shooting, I'd go to mass. I still go up in the morning to go set up. Wow. Because I wanted to be at mass, you know, and gosh, I thought, I, I, I would say, and, you know, with confirmation, sometimes they said they don't want to, and my heart just breaks, you know. I said, gosh, only you knew, only you knew, only what I've gone through when I was your age, just to uh-huh. be at mass. Gosh. The sacrifices you be so that blessed. you had. You would, I really believe all my life as a priest, if we only knew, the saint would tell us this, what we have at the Eucharist, we would risk our life just to be there at Mass every day. Wow. If only we knew what a gift it is in the Eucharist. Gosh, we'd drop everything. We would drop everything, even risking our life to be there for Mass. You know, we're so blessed to have that. And, and that's what concerns me is, you know, like you can have persecution, you can have gun and fire. Uh-huh. But you know the secular world that is distracting and pulling us away from God. Mm-hmm. And the dangerous is if it's in your face and persecute you, you stand up for it. Yes. But the world is like quietly distracting and taking us away from God. And we're not careful. We become secularized and we forget forgetfulness, you know. Uh-huh. Because it just Jesus said, chips away little Jesus by little. Said, do uh, this in memory of me. Uh-huh. We have to keep his memory alive. Faith, grace, God, his love is so real. And uh, sometimes, unfortunately, we take him for granted. But we have no idea. Right now, as we're speaking, there are uh-huh. people all over the world who would walk for days just to be able to be at Mass in the Eucharist. And they walk for days back. There's people who now going to Mass would risk their life, could mean that they would die. Yes. And here we are. Sometimes we take that for granted. And it breaks my heart. Uh, but I pray. That's what I, I do as a priest. Uh-huh. My number one job as a priest is when my, I, I, I look at St. John Vianney when he goes to a parish and we encounter people that don't go to church or don't pray. He said, if they don't, I'll do it for them. So that's what I do. <laughs> I pray. Yeah. I go to adoration for whenever mom or dad told me my son or my daughter don't want to go to confirmation, uh-huh. don't want to go to class, don't want to pray. So I said, Lord, okay, and I'll do it for them. You know, so mm-hmm. whenever uh, I don't have mass here, I celebrate mass at home. Or whenever I do my adoration, I lift up those prayers. Said, okay, I'm their pastor, so I do it for them. Your brothers, when yeah. they were in their camp, were they able to attend Mass? Were there yeah, priests yeah. there? Yeah, they were in the main camp. They do have chapel and they have priests there. So. Oh, they have an actual chapel, yeah, not a makeshift one like the one you have. They got better off than I do. <laughs> <laughs> now, eventually, my brother was accepted to go to the United States. Okay, and how does was, that happen? Do you, so how do you apply for that? The U.S. come and they interview you. Okay. Now, my father, because he worked for the U.S. government, so we left for political, we, mm. we were considered asylum seekers. in the uh, asylum. So okay. higher in the, 
in the order of being accepted. So my brothers, uh, my, my, my dad uh, would send us those paperwork that he, he worked in the government and- He fought with the, the yeah, Americans. Yeah. And, and uh -huh. so my brothers was accepted and he went. And after they left, then we finally, we were in that camp by the border for, I think, almost a year. Then they shipped us to the camp where my brother was. Oh, wow. It's the official camp. I what was there reunion, for this, huh? another six months or a year before we were interviewed and taken to the United States. Yeah. Well, that, that must have been a wonderful reunion. Oh, that was, uh, I remember the day when we were reunited here in the United States with my brothers. So you weren't re uh, reunited yet in that camp? No. Because they, okay. they went ahead and U.S. by the time we get to the camp. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you just missed them, huh? Yeah, I just missed them. So, yeah, the reunion was beautiful. So you, you had to go through the interview process as well yeah. with your younger brother. So it was brother. Another, another almost a year before I finally came to the United States and see my brothers. At what point were you able to get into contact with your parents? So once we get to the... Um, so... When we were in the camp, we had a letter with uh -huh. our parents yes. through the through, through the priest. To the priest. Uh -huh. Then once we get to the official camp, then you have your own mailbox and okay. things like that. That's when it was official. Then we life was a lot better then. When yeah. you got to the main camp. Main camp, yeah. And then your brothers were, were already on their way to the US. And they were already in the United States. So we okay. they sent us money, you know, and and by that time, lie was a lot better. Where in the U.S. were they? They came to Houston because my, my uncle at the time was already in Houston. Oh, the priest. Yeah, the priest. So okay, so he helped them he get helped started. He helped them get started. And yeah. they were, how old were they at, that, at this point? So by that time, my brother, so I was 13. I was 14 the whole time. It took me about almost three years to get to the United States. So it was about 14. My brother would be 16 and 17. Yeah. How did schooling work while you were in the refugee camp? Was there school? Yeah, they. Uh, we have. Um, when I get to refugee camp, because I don't have my parents with me, uh -huh. so they put us in what they call minor camp. Any kids who are eighteen and under live uh -huh. in a minor camp. Okay. So there was a group of just children without parents. We live in that. Wow. That, it's called a minor center for minor who are under eighteen. Uh huh. And there we have. They have their own cook. And uh, so we live with a bunch of. You know, they, they have two big room. The boys all live in one room uh -huh. and the girls all live in the other big room. It's like a center. Okay. And uh, they, we have our own kitchen. And uh, so they would bring in people to teach us English, you know. Uh, did, not really class, but more like English class. Okay. So they teach us, yeah, I remember learning to count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Mm -hmm. And learning some vocabulary. Was it just and, English? Uh, Were there any other subjects? Yeah, or? they teach us. Uh, they taught us uh, morality. They taught us uh, different things. So, so you had have, like science and uh, no, we didn't really. have that luxury. Yeah, we didn't have those classes. Just, just basically English class. Wow. Mainly, yeah. I like how you say it's a luxury. Oh yeah. To to to, to go to a That's science class, thing, right? <laughs> Education was a luxury, you know? That's another thing. <laughs> I mean, our children has the best schooling in the world. And when I look at them and they don't want to study, that's another thing that breaks my heart. Boy, because, you know, when I was in the camp, you can't, 
I mean, there's no, there's volunteers that come in and teach English and, you know, uh-huh. and try to learn and how much I want to be in class. Oh, well, you know, and eventually we did have class because uh-huh. the people in the camp who know math, who know um, uh, literature, they taught us that. Yeah, now I remember it. Yes, we did have classes. And I was on cloud nine taking those classes. Wow. In fact, I remember it now. I was, uh, I, I, I did pretty good. I, I love studying. Uh-huh. So when the class was open, I jumped right in and I studied. And I was, I was uh, back in all day during that time, I was, I was quite bright. I studied really because I just love studying. Mm-hmm. I did really well in classes. I was always top <laughs> in, a, in a refugee camp because I was so happy to be yeah. able to go to class. Well, you don't, you don't realize or appreciate something until you've lo- you lose it. Yeah. So you were without school for such a long time when it actually happened. That's right. Going You're back to class. So eager. <laughs> so, yeah, I remember. I love English. I love reading those poems. Love taking those math class. Uh, yeah, I remember now. That's another thing that break- breaks my heart. When these little young one, they don't want to go to school. Or it's like, <laughs> oh, and it's like, gosh. Well, after the, after so the pandemic, now I think a lot of kids are <laughs> are dying to go back to school. <laughs> oh, the ones that great. are stuck yeah. at home. So, yeah. so that may be a blessing in disguise. We come a little bit to a, a deeper appreciation of relationship, right? Yes. How much we need one another. Yes. Do we? That's why our faith is so beautiful. A lot of people say, why can't we just pray at home between me and God? Because faith is not just vertical between me and God. It is between us and God and seeing God in our brothers and sisters. We are a body of Christ. As St. Paul say it, when the foot hurt, we can't just say, oh, it's just my foot or my tooth hurt. I'm Uh not hurting. When one suffers, we all suffer. That is why we come together on Sunday. It's not just about me. It's a communal thing. It's a communal. I come here not just for myself. I come here for my family for my church, for the world, the mass that we celebrate, it's just not for us. We're there to lift each other up in prayers. We're there and we look at each other. We're there. My heart is breaking. I'm hurting. And I look out and I see I'm not the only one who's hurting. Other people are also wearing masks. Other people are going through a hard time. Yes. Other people have lost relatives and friends. Yeah, I'm there for them. We are community. We are the body of Christ. And we lift this up all of this up with the bread and wine, which become the body and blood of Jesus. And when the priests say, lift up and say, through him, with him, and in him, all our joy, all our sorrow, not just mine, but I lift together the tears of my brothers and sisters, all people around me, we lift it up. When I celebrate this mass, I look out and I see this, that's my family. I see their joy, I see their sorrow, and we're all in it together. It's wow. not just about me in my chapel, mm-hmm. celebrating mass between me and God. It's, the community yes. is a family. When we have uh, loss, and death in the family, we come together. When we have wedding, when we have birthday, celebration, Christmas, we come together in the same way. That's what happened at Mass. Uh-huh. We're all in it together. You know? Speaking of blessings in disguise, so I guess it was a blessing in disguise that your dad, he had worked for the government. He was in the service. It was a bit of a curse because he was 
imprisoned and tortured, but it was also a blessing that you were also on the top of the list to go to the United States. You had more of a priority as refugees because he worked. Exactly, Rudy. With that, the is, that is my dad's life theme. Because he went through hell and our family went through tremendous suffering. And I, I have to say, that is nothing compared to a lot of other people who gone through life. To this very day, I remember my dad always say, you know, we look at what's happening in our nation. We look at the division and we worry about a lot of things, the pandemic. Uh-huh. But dad always tell me, even when my, heart, my dad was going through his quadruple bypass surgery and I was in there praying with him and he was opening up and talking to me and all he said, you know, dad, all that suffering we went through, including the Vietnam War, even with the fall of Saigon, the communist takes over, uh-huh. the persecution that we went through religiously and politically, without all of that, we wouldn't be here today. He said, I was in prison all those years, but without those years in prison, our family wouldn't be in the United States today. Exactly. Because, through, because of those imprisons that I was able through Senator McLean program, that I was able to, through that program, come here and we are united here and now you're a priest and you're serving so much of God's people. And dad said, God always has his plan. Sometimes not like the way we think, but he said, if we trust him, he always bring good out of it. We have to always be grateful to God. Yeah, because little did he know that while he was being beaten up in that camp, yeah. that, that him being beaten up was actually helping you That's get right. to the United States. And himself and the rest of the family the, to come over. So you, you finally got reunited with your brothers here in Houston. Yes. How long did it take before you were able to see them again? So a, a total of how many years? Since your so, brothers left and you finally reunited with I them. I left at the end of 87. But your brothers were how far ahead My of you? My brothers had uh, left before that. Mid, they probably, they left, probably, they left, I believe they, they left maybe six months before that. Okay. So um, I came here in um, 90, May of 90. So it's about five years. Five years since you, ha- so you hadn't years. seen your brothers in five years. Yeah, four or five years, yeah. Wow. We finally united. So you were a little kid, and then by the time you saw them, you were already into puberty yeah. at that point. Well, You're a little older. Let's take it. No. So, yeah, I was maybe 11, and I, when I saw them, I was 15 years old. Okay. Yeah, 11. So, so a little over years, four years. four years, yeah. Wow. And uh, same with my parents. So how did they follow? So in the uh, late 80s, Senator McLean sponsored a program called Vietnam, we call it HO, Humanitarian Operation. Okay. That any uh, any uh, uh, veteran that worked in the South government with the U.S. government uh-huh. and because of their imprisonment may, through that program, uh, come to take residence and live in the United States. So my father applied for that program. And it went through really well, really fast. And the Vietnamese government didn't try to stop him? No, because or? I think there is already um, 
an agreement with the United okay. States by the like a the treaty US or government. Some yeah, sort. Some kind. Okay. So um, my dad applied for it, and uh, sure enough, in 1991, he came with the rest of the family. Wow. So your sister, who was just months old at the time, yeah, how old was she at the, that point? Gosh, yeah, it's still little because my my parents have more. I have. Like my baby sister, I never saw her. Yes. Because when I would left, my parents had more- More kids, uh, More yes. kids, so um, <laughs> they're just small. I remember, so I remember all these years I pray. We always pray together for for reunion of the yes, family, right? of course. And we always pray the rosary. That's been the tradition in uh-huh. home. And finally, the day come, the note come that on this day and, the, and such, they will they will arrive at at uh, George Bush Airport, International Airport. Back in the old day, this is pre nine one one. You can go all the way to the to the uh, gate, yes. to the gate to wait for them, right? <laughs> so I remember that very clearly. That it was at night, in it, and they, uh, my uncle, my uh, my brothers. So they drove us to the airport. I was standing there waiting. The anticipation. My heart was pumping. Wow. In the old day, you don't have FaceTime. So you haven't seen their face in a long time except through pictures. Yes, right? yes. There was no internet like we do nowadays. <laughs> so there was no, you couldn't send those digital image pictures. So you haven't really seen them except through yes. those, those photos that you sent in the letter. Yes. I was anxious. My heart was pumping. And finally, the time came, the time we've been praying for, we've been waiting for, and we haven't seen each other for years. In the older, you don't even talk on the phone because you go to the office. And it, it, it costs a lot to talk on the phone. So the yes. phone wasn't like, like today, yes. cell phone, right? So <laughs> the long distance calls, yeah. You haven't yeah. talked except for through mail, right? Uh-huh. My heart was pumping and pumping and pumping and pumping. And then people was leaving the airplane and finally came mom and dad with their suitcases, my little, and their little baby in the arm and all these little ones, you know, like how ducks lining up yeah. going. <laughs> I remember they, I remember they were so small. Your other siblings coming yeah, along. coming out. They were I can imagine the along. tears. Oh gosh. So the- I, I just remember seeing them. I was so, so happy. I mean, I can't believe it was real. You literally have to pinch yourself. Yeah. Is this real? After all, here we are. Dad talking about tears. Dad went through hell in his life. The night when I left, dad called me over and said, dad told me, dad, you're going to leave Vietnam by boat with -hmm. your younger brother. I need you to be the strong one for your brother. And dad said, you have to be strong in your faith. And life will be hard, but you have to be a strong. You have wow. to be strong. He said, you don't cry. He said, he, he told me this saying that a man rather die standing than kneeling. And you don't shed your tears. You lose your head, but you don't shed your tears. Uh-huh. The strength, you know. And I, I don't see all my life. I remember up to that point, I haven't seen my dad cry yet. Uh-huh. And I kept his word. I stay very strong through those years. I don't cry. I stay strong. I don't cry. All that things, I don't. 
But that day, that day, when my dad walked out, and he finally saw us, for the first time in my life, I saw tears rolling down his cheek. Now it was a moment of of grace, a moment of joy. And I remember later I asked him, you know, why? What happened there? You told me not to cry. And Dad said that it was because I was so happy. I was so happy that, wow, we are finally back together again. Because he didn't know if he'd see you alive That's ever right. again. That's right. Sending out your two older brothers. That's right. And then you and your younger yeah. brother not knowing. Yeah. At such a young age. Yeah. And through, through all of that, there we were, by the grace of God, we were finally together again in this new world. And uh, gosh, I'll never forget that. It was such a moment of joy. Do you remember the first time you said a rosary together as a family again? Absolutely. That very night, came back to the house. We prayed a rosary. And we prayed a rosary together every night. To this day, you know, whenever we get together at his house, uh -huh. my parents' house on Sunday, we still pray the rosary together. My dad and mom and dad still pray the rosary together every day. Every day. Yeah. That's our life, our strength. Faith carry us through. Yeah. Coming soon, part two of our interview with Father Dad. Only here on In the Pews.